Hey everyone, this is the Hopecast from Hope Church RVA. I'm Rachel Dawson. I'm part of the communications team here at Hope, and I'm joined today by our senior pastor, David Dwight. We are here to have a conversation about life and faith and some questions we have in those areas in under 30 minutes. So today we're tackling the question of how does a victimization and outrage culture damage us? So David, we were just chatting about the idea that these times can feel really emotional and intense and you there's a sense in which people feel like there are landmines all over and if I touch into a topic or I say something wrong or right it's going to blow up and it just feels like an intense risky kind of scenario that we're living in in our culture um what are your thoughts on that why are we in that kind of a place and what do we do with the culture that's like that it's a great question we're living in times that do feel like there are so many live electric wires mm-hmm. that are kind of running. Sometimes I think an interesting question is, let, let's catalog a bit of what our country and the social fabric has been through, say, in the last 15 months. So we've had COVID, mm-hmm. which has been this massive, of course, worldwide pandemic. I think many people have been surprised at how emotional and emotionalized the question of this pandemic has become. Mm -hmm. And then we've had racial pain, uh, some of which some people would say came to light mostly when George Floyd was murdered. But of course, there are other people, Breonna Taylor, others who are are part of the fabric of these stories Mm -hmm. of the racial pain in America. And so we've had a lot of emotion and flare-ups and protests and so on. And then I think we've had the political disagreements. Mm -hmm. So you take these two political candidates in the last year with someone like Joe Biden and someone like Donald Trump, and then you put all three of these streams together Sometimes I think of it almost like a recipe, Mm -hmm. like take uh, one part racial pain and injustice, take one part pandemic and take one part political disagreement, mix them together in Mm -hmm. a bowl. And these are the ingredients. And what's your recipe going to produce? Yeah, it's produced a great deal of emotional hardship in Mm -hmm. our culture. Um, sometimes I ask myself, you know, this is like chicken and the egg type question. Have we experienced all of these hardships because there's something underlying in our emotional fabric Mm -hmm. that has created the flare ups or have the flare ups caused the emotionalization? Yeah. And trying to get at that is an interesting question. Um, so in my opinion, We're living in a time where uh, victimization and outrage and self-centrism have become idols and gods Mm -hmm. in the culture. And so it becomes very, very difficult to find the healing Mm -hmm. and the reconciliation that we want when we are living and embracing a victimization and outrage culture. So I think there are two levels where that happens. What is, just as an individual, why do I want to avoid falling into this victimization and outrage? Mm -hmm. As we live our lives and navigate them, why do I not want to go there? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, what are the implications of a social fabric that's embracing this victimization and outrage? And what are the fine points to discuss in it? 
Like, for instance, I might say, well, you don't want to go down the road of victimization and outrage. And someone else might say, well, you know, there's serious stuff happening. To neglect it would be foolish. And I agree with that. So the questions then become, how do we engage serious matters in a way that is kind of healthy and reasonable? And in a sense, I think those are the kinds of people that will help us toward healing. Mm -hmm. But how about like if we start on the more individual side? You know, why do we not want to go down that direction, I think is kind of the question. Well, I would love to even boil it down even more simply. What does it look like if we are acting like a victim or we are acting outraged. I'm even curious of like, what are some signs or some ways that you even see what that looks like in our society to know like, oh, that's that's what victimization looks like or that's how it rears its ugly head or what outrage is, how it's demonstrated. Can you name just some examples of what what we see? Because I feel like for me, I'm even thinking like, do I do that? Have Have I done that? Have I lived in that kind of a way? Can you give some thoughts on what that looks like as it's played out? Yeah. And of course, the like the irony of the conversation is we're talking about how victimization, outrage, culture mean like you almost can't say anything Mm -hmm. because you get shouted down. So I almost feel that right now. If we're going to talk about victimization (laughs) and outrage, like you can't do it because you're going to get shouted down. At some level, it is what it is. And we have to hope that more reasonable minds will prevail. Mm -hmm. So um, the victimization and outrage culture is when there is a disproportionate, overly self-centered, overly emotionalized response Mm. to uh, things that happen in life. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm kind of using the word overly, right? Because there are balance points to all these types of things. But if I if I way overdo the balance mm-hmm. point and I go too far in the victimization and outrage place, I'm going to get stuck. Mm-hmm. So let's say you or I have had hard things happen in our lives. Yeah. Okay. Here's, um, here's an example. I'll bet you we all experienced this at some point in our growing up. When we were adolescent, there was something that was not going well in your life and your parents weren't letting you do what you want. And so we kind of had these rants mm-hmm. and we just go off off the grid with anger and slamming our doors and I hate you and the world is horrible. And mm-hmm. it's a it's an immature, adolescent, emotionalized response yeah. to something that hasn't gone the way we wanted. And um and to a certain degree. That's kind of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's important because if we choose that, if you now look at the broader cultural matters, discord and pain and brokenness is very much part of our problem. Yeah. So we would all say, okay, well, the goal then would be to try to bring healing and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you do that? I think it's reasonable people who understand the sobering realities of the hardships, mm-hmm. but can engage the conversations reasonably. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels like there are very few people out there who are able to do that or are willing to do that. Mm. Anything you say, you get just completely shouted down. And 
that feels good emotionally. It fuels the flesh, mm-hmm. but it kills the soul. If you're the shouting downer, yes, <laughs> not the shouted down. Or if you have just fallen into the victimization and outrage culture, yeah. Um, in many respects, we can fall into it without knowing that we have. Mm. So we're participating in it and doing it, and in so doing, we are reducing the capacity for the healing we're mm-hmm. looking for. And this can happen in our personal lives. We go through something hard, and yes, hard things happen. Navigating that hardship with reasonable thinking, giving it its due, Mm -hmm. engaging the grief in a reasonable way is important to do as a healthy person, right? So to deny these things and push them away is not healthy. But to overinflate them Mm -hmm. and make it as though we're the center of the universe and the world hates me and everything is against me is foolish. Yeah. It's not true. And what we'll do then is we'll get stuck in our hardship Mm -hmm. and it will begin to characterize our lives, our personalities. And sometimes people can get stuck in this permanently for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And so they become isolated and angry and lonely and bitter and, the life that we wanted, mm-hmm. which was healthy and balanced and relational and loving, yeah. is now gone because one way or another, we got into and embraced the victimization and outrage mindset. Right. I see this play out primarily on social media as a place where I see the, uh, the even just the speed and the pace of social media and the internet. I feel like we have the opportunity to respond quickly, to react quickly. There's this you hear about something and there's a way and a platform for you to just say what you feel, say your initial emotion, your reaction, your response. And I wonder what we, how we could do better in those spaces, primarily with when the pace of things moves so quickly and you hear the breaking news and it, you have a you know an emotional response or it triggers something and you just blurt it out and you say it publicly. And that I think is where I'm constantly seeing a lot of this play out. And it does, it feels very... Uh, personal, and I think when you say self-centered and all those things, I'm thinking, yeah, we we make these things very personal, where they mm-hmm. d- maybe aren't always, and perhaps there's more nuance than we care to really acknowledge or engage with in a lot of these conversations and all of these spaces. A lot of times we don't know the full story, but we react based on one fragment or detail or the first headline without digging deeper. So I wonder what mm-hmm. is what are some of the ways that we can be people who don't fall prey to being outraged at everything or being the victim or being in this more self-centered posture? What is, what is the antidote to that? Uh, great questions. Couple of thoughts. One, um, be a person who will seek to understand and enter into nuance and complexity. Mm-hmm. Our culture has very little engagement with nuance and complexity. Yeah. And so we respond to emotionalized things that are in the air and it takes self-control to not do that. Um, And also to realize many of these issues are far more complex than emotionalized responses will give them due. Of course, the other thing is we all know this, right? Uh, the news may or may not be very reliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can see something that's in the news and then find out a little later that it was wrong for whatever reason. 
So here we got all amped up on information that was wrong, which is kind of dumb. So, you know, like what does a reasonable person do? I guess it depends a bit on sort of the position that we're in. But like I find myself periodically, people will ask me, you know, did you know about fill in the blank X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll say I have heard about it, uh, but I'm not really well acquainted with it. I'm not really deeply acquainted with uh, the difficulties, the background, the context. So to have anything really reasonable to say, I would need to get myself really much more acquainted with the difficulties in the background. Hmm. Um, the other thing, of course, is like media outlets create a certain anonymity by technology. Yeah. When you sit in a room and have a conversation with somebody and you're human to each other, right. it's very different than when we shout on technology platforms. Oh, yeah. Um, so one would be to try to be a person who seeks to understand uh, the more complex and deeper matters. Mm -hmm. Another one I think is a biblical view. Um, and one of the things that to me is beautiful about the New Testament, and I was just checking out a couple of verses here that are examples of a number of them, like 2 Corinthians 4, 8, it says, we are hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. The New Testament has this uh, understanding that life has real hardships. Yeah. I mean, real hardships. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about superficial, mm -hmm. you know, skinned knees types of things. We're talking about really deep, painful hardships. Yeah. But the New Testament trajectory is always one that leads us to a persevering hope mm -hmm. as people who, through Christ, are people who overcome these hardships and even um, become made different kinds of people, richer, mm -hmm. deeper, more beautiful. So I think the New Testament idea with our wounds is mm -hmm. we can embrace them as gifts in our life because God can make us deeper and more beautiful as a result of them. Mm. But if we're embracing the you know victimization, moodiness, outrage, we're just going to just implode in our wounds yeah. and we'll get stuck there mm -hmm. and it's going to diminish our lives. Um, another example, Romans 5, 3 and 4. So we can glory in our sufferings mm -hmm. because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Mm -hmm. The New Testament has a very different trajectory yeah. than the victimization, outrage, self-centrism. It calls us to, one, yes, it's very clear, really hard stuff happens. We experience very hard things in our lives. We experience griefs. Mm -hmm. We experience violations, injustices. The New Testament is kind of matter of fact. Yep, yep, sure, yep. The New Testament is like not terribly surprised by that. Yeah. The question is, what do we do with that? Right. And I think if we're Christians who are really seeking God's presence in it, we can move into this persevering hope mm -hmm. that God does some of his most beautiful work in our lives through the places of our deepest wounds. Yeah. And that is a magnificent invitation. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple thoughts. Yeah, I'm struck by, as you're sharing so much of this, even the way you can respond to people and say, I don't know enough about this to speak to this. I think I, I love that thought. I think it's helpful for me because I think so often we feel like we need to have a response to everything or 
say something about everything that happens. And if you don't, there's, especially on social media, this act of, I feel like there's this kind of what they call slacktivism, right? Where we feel like, oh, you need to post the meme that says that you're aware of what happened or else you're part of the problem. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in saying, I don't know enough about this yet, or I'm not well enough acquainted with this matter, these deeper thoughts. And maybe let's have a conversation later. Or do you have any resources you could share that might help me have a fuller grasp of what's happening? And there's just, in all of that, there feels like a a willingness to wait. And even these verses that you've shared feel like there's a bigger perspective, right? It's a longer game than I think we're often willing to see. Yes. Um, It moves so quickly and we feel like there needs to be this fast pace and this instant response. But what if we, I mean, suffering produces character, like all these things, It's that's a long game. That's a long view and a, a better one, but we so often don't see that perspective and we're so limited in what we see and it's just what's right before us. So we got to respond, react. Well, and for Christians, I think there's a very meaningful place of consideration, which is where will I really place my heart and my soul? Mm. Do I place them in the anger of the culture Mm -hmm. or do I place them in the peace of God? Mm. And only a person who is at peace can make peace. Mm -hmm. Only a person who is a reasonably reconciled person can contribute to making reconciliation happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think these questions of of where am I really going to root myself Mm -hmm. uh, and my identity. Another thing that I find uh, sadly ironic is, you know, like in our culture, we have all these efforts like to reduce bullying in our culture. Social media platforms are remarkable in their bullying and intimidation initiatives. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the really sad, disheartening parts of it. Yeah. And so on the one hand, we've got this sort of thing in the air. I think we can all agree that bullying is a bad thing. But then, of course, this turns into all kinds of outrage, like to just disagree with someone, you're maligned as, you know, you're a bullying bigot, which is so foolish. Um, but it is ironic because I do think that social media platforms do become platforms for intimidation and bullying. Mm -hmm. And that is a really unfortunate thing. So in a sense, what you have to do, you use more eloquent ways to say this. One of the ones that I would use is there's so many things that will come across the horizon for us, whether it's our, uh, social media platforms or a conversation. And it's like, there's so much bait that is thrown yeah. out there. And it's like, are you going to take the bait? Right. Are you going to take the bait? Are you going to take the bait? And a certain amount of it is having the settled soul to not take the bait. Well, I think with you mentioned news and media platforms, their whole industry is clickbait to use the exact same words. And that is, I think it, it does us well to remember that a lot of the things that are trying to prompt outrage from us are doing yeah. so because it benefits them. Yeah. And can we have a bigger view and the wisdom to see that for what it is and not, like you said, take the bait. Right. So um, I had shared in a video that our denomination had asked me to make a little while ago that I think in the midst of this, the COVID, the politics and uh, racial pain, that the leaders who are going to be most helpful, and this was for leaders in the church, Mm -hmm. The leaders who are going to be most helpful are going to be the ones who are reasonable and insightful and have a steady hand mm-hmm. 
to captain the ship of these churches that we lead. And um, the irony is the loud voices, the ones that are crying outrage and victimization are the ones that get the attention. In my view, they're probably not helping us toward the healing. So the irony is the ones who I think are likely to be the most helpful are the ones you'll almost never hear about Mm. because they are the humble ones who are steady as she goes. They have wisdom and discernment and balance in the midst of all of these storms and winds that are blowing. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something that is going to get you acclaim as a leader in the church. And it's not real sexy in terms of leadership, but the standpoint of who's really going to help us here Probably the people that are steady and healthy, mm-hmm. balanced and whole. Yeah, I love that. To kind of wrap things up, I think so much of what we're talking about is truly, I mean, the Bible says what our what we speak is kind of an overflow of what's in our hearts. And I was reading in Philippians and the message um, paraphrase this week about um, it's beautiful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of our hearts. And I think so much of this, I'm just, it feels like it's centering around that verse and that thought to me that, man, when I have got worry in my heart, and if that's the thing I'm rooted in, anchored in, and I'm really tethered to, victimization and outrage and these more emotional responses are going to be what spills out from that. But if I can be a person who, like you said, is more reasonable, more studied, more nuanced, and really tethered to Christ at the core of who I am, what comes out of me is going to be much more life-giving and helpful and healthy and wise. And I'm encouraged to press on in that work, to be aware of my of the tendencies to take the bait or to kind of fly off or respond quickly. I think there's wisdom in, like the Bible says, being slow to speak and slow to anger, quick to listen, being person people who value understanding more than being understood. I think there's a lot that we can take from that as really practical um, action steps in our lives. I agree with all of that. Um, I think to sort of, I don't know, maybe coming to wrap this up, one of the things that comes with sort of the victimization and outrage culture uh, and the self-centrism, that's all, they're all woven together, mm-hmm. is kind of this sense which is you have no right to speak because you have no idea what I've been through. Um, that's an overly self-centric viewpoint because the person who was just told that could respond and say, and you have no idea what I've been through. In fact, the person who's saying it, who's healthy, who's been through deep pain, might have been through much deeper pain than the person who's protesting that they can't talk about it. But this overly self-centric thing, again, back to almost like the adolescent, you know, you have no idea how painful it's been for me. Mm -hmm. That overly self-centric view is like, and do you think that other people don't have pain? Like what's happened to you, David, or what's happened to you, Rachel? Do you think nobody else has had really, really painful things happen? One of the common elements of being human is given enough time, pain and hardship are going to come to all of us, mm-hmm. right? But overly self-centric views would be like that we want to say, yes, but mine yeah. is totally different and so much more painful than yours, mm-hmm. right? That's an overly self-centric view. Yeah. Um, And if we can find, again, returning, as you've said, to these kind of biblical views of what it means to be in Christ through the painful experiences of life, I think we can begin to experience his healing in our lives. And then we begin to be people who can contribute to healing in the larger surrounding culture.
Mm, that's beautiful. Well, thank you all so much for listening in with us today. We would love to invite you to subscribe to the Hopecast and your favorite podcast app, and maybe even share the episode with a friend or start a conversation with someone in your life who you want to kind of unpack these ideas more with. Um, you can learn more about hope at our website, hopechurchrva.com, and we hope you'll tune into the next one.